Good morning. You may have been expecting Lisa today, but we did a swap, so you've got me instead. How do we know the truth? How do we establish justice? Just imagine you've been accused falsely. You go to court. There are accusations from the prosecution, but the judge says they don't stand up. Not guilty. You're acquitted. But they shout and accuse some more. You're sent to a different court. Not guilty. You're sent back the third time. Not guilty. So the prosecution keeps arguing and asking for what they call justice. How would you feel? Injustice. Unfair. Jesus was accused of sedition. A rebel. A king to rival Caesar. And Pilate is fearful. He's the ruling governor and he tries to palm this whole thing off onto Herod. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean, and so he sent him to Herod, who's under his jurisdiction. And as luck would have it, Herod was in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was greatly pleased. He'd wanted to find out more about this man for a long time. He'd heard about him, of course including from John. That didn't end well. From what he heard, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort, like some kind of circus act. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. Jesus would not present his defence. He decided not to incriminate himself, perhaps, or just that they didn't warrant any answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there and they accused him. Then Herod and the soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Herod was not a good person. They dressed him in an elegant robe as if to mock this idea of him being a king and they sent him back to Pilate. And Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people. And he said, you said he was leading a rebellion. I have examined him and I find no basis for charges against him. Herod didn't either. He doesn't deserve death, so I will just punish him. In Roman law, there were four principles. The first was that everybody got equal treatment under the law. The second was that you were innocent until proved guilty. The third is the burden of proof lay with the accuser, not for the defence to protect themselves, defend themselves. And fourthly, any unreasonable or unfair law could be set aside. It seems that Pilate could have set aside what he saw as an injustice. Now in English law, which much of which is based on Roman law, to prove a crime you need to show an act and the intentional mind. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus never showed any intention 
to overthrow, overthrow Rome, or not in this life anyway. The people called him king, and he asked for no uprising. He was innocent. Pilate and Herod seemed to find Jesus deluded, but not guilty. Yet the crowd cried out, incited by the teachers of the law, and Jesus died. It was an injustice. It was an untruth. And God used these things, not of him, to save the world. Not because of them, but despite them. Pilate famously asked Jesus in John's Gospel, what is truth? Now, Daryl Bock, in his commentary on Luke, says that Pilate tests the wind more than assessing the truth of Jesus' claim. And that Pilate makes the bad decision of saving Barabbas just to solve his dilemma, the simple way out. A Gallup poll cannot decide religious truth, he says. And when Pilate saw Jesus on the cross with the nameplate saying King of the Jews, he knew. When challenged, he said, I have written what I have written. He knew. And the question for us now is how do we find truth? I've been reading a book about black history. It starts with canny traders in Africa getting uh, getting it over the, the, the people who came from Europe, the white men who came from Europe. They were naive adventurers and they paid well over the odds for the goods they took home. But by might and guns, they took over. And of course, that led to slavery, a triangle between Africa the West Indies and uh, the UK. There was no cost to the labour and there were big profits. In fact, there's a reference in Hamilton where Thomas Jefferson claims that the South has no debt, but Alex Hamilton points out the reason is that they had no wages. There was, for those who had the power and the money, too much to lose when it came to abolition. There were general assumptions and there was segregation, all to the detriment of black people. There was an assumption of white supremacy. And that was an untruth born of power and, in inverted commas, economic necessity. It was an injustice for convenience. And for centuries, people listened to the loud and powerful voices to keep that injustice in place. We're continuing to go through the living in love and faith process, and it is a process of discernment. But in that discernment, the church needs to not just listen to the loudest voices, but the voice of truth voice of God and we hear through listening and searching together in scripture 
How can we tell as we start to discern opening up? Christ Church and other churches are going through this process of what can we open, when we can open it, and how can we do that safely? Well, here's some ideas. It's not the loudest voice. It's not the one who says, I think or I want. And it's not the one with the power or the resources. And it's not through fear or ignorance, just like the crowns baying for Jesus' death. It is the one who says that's what will bless them. It is the body of Christ listening and obeying together. Jeremiah had a tough call. He had to speak to the Israelites and tell them about the impending disaster. And in Jeremiah 1, verse 9 and 10, it says this, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Our discernment is what to tear down and what to build and to plant. But how we do it is just as important as what we do. In Ephesians 4, verse 29, which came up in morning prayer this week. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We are called to build each other up in our search for God's heart. Take care how we speak. Be open to new things and use our minds as well as our emotions. And pray. Seek his face and seek his heart in this new season. Do not bay like the crowned, but listen quietly and use reason. Ask gentle questions and encourage others. Otherwise, we mock Jesus by mocking and ridiculing his body, just as Herod and the soldiers did. We need to be generous and focused on God. Following Paul's guidance to the Colossian church. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgives you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus 
died on the cross for us. And we weep of the injustice of it. Help us to discern well together your next steps for us. Help us to be patient with one another, to be attentive with our ears turned towards your will and your ways. Come Holy Spirit, fill us with that gentleness and peace and patience and give us your wisdom at this crucial time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.